The mirror reflects all things without being sullied. Confucius. I'm your host, Nag Loki Shivanath, and this is The Door in the Looking Glass. Welcome back to another exciting episode. Uh, we're once again joined by uh, the rain on my tin roof, although some of you have stated that you enjoy the sound, so hopefully the background music won't mask it too much. Anywho, today's episode concerns a topic of great interest, um, both among my general uh, audience as well as what seems to be the occult world at large today and that is necromancy. Now, I've practiced necromancy of one form or another for the last 15 or so years, and I've gotten a decent feel for what necromancy is and what it can do, as well as what it isn't and what it can't do. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm some necromancy guru. I'm not saying that I have all the answers. Um, what I am saying is that... Uh, well, I'll just come right out and say it. A lot of modern quote-unquote necromancy practices I see today are not at all necromancy. So, with that said, we'll jump right in with a good solid definition of what necromancy is, what it isn't, what it started as, and what it, it arguably has become today. So, what is necromancy? That is a difficult question to answer, honestly, because, you know, if you say, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm Norse, okay, that conjures up the idea of Odin and Thor and Tyr, etc., etc. And you say, oh, I'm, I'm a druid, okay, well, you know, nature and trees and uh, Dagda and the Morrigan, Mananamaklir, and, and, you know, on and on, but you say, you know, I, I'm a necromancer. Yeah, images of, of graveyards and the dead come to mind, but, you know, is it is it Thanatos? Is it Santa Muerte? Is it Hades? Is it Bastet? You know, on and on. And the simple answer is yes and no. Necromancy is... A mystical practice that works primarily with the dead, and I, you know, that, that's that's it. That's the simple definition of necromancy. It's not, you know, oh well, I did necromancy because I prayed to Hades. No, you technically performed a Hellenic practice. That's not necromancy. Oh well, I make offerings to Santa Muerte. That's great, but doesn't make you a necromancer. In order to be a necromancer, you must work with the dead. And this is why I have a tendency to, um, well, I will read works of modern quote-unquote necromancers, but I don't put them into practice because to me they're not generally necromancy. 
Uh, I'm not going to name any names. I'm not going to, you know, malign any authors. You know, you do you, boo. <clears throat> but I, I have a book on my shelf right now. It is a fantastic book of pathworking and dealing with the gods of the dead and demons related to death and, and spirits of the dead and things like that. But nowhere in the book is there any mention of actually working with the dead themselves. Therefore, it is not in my mind classified as necromancy, but rather as death magic, if that. Um, some of you may have guessed the book, and that's fine. If you haven't, that's also fine. I'm not going to, you know, call it out. Um, there are other... There, there, there are other books, many other books, that are just like this. They, they have, oh, near necromantic practice, you summon this god and then call this demon, and, and they do this, and you're a necromancer. No, you're not. Necromancy must have the dead in order to be necromancy. Um, so that also segues into my definition of what necromancy is not, which necromancy is not... Any practice, no matter how many death gods or death demons or whatever you happen to work with, that does not include dead. Now, necromancy has... Uh, necromancy's existed in the world's cultures in one form or another since the dawn of time. Um... Now, there aren't necessarily written historical records of this, but we have evidence of tribes honoring their ancestors and, you know, the, the tribal, not necessarily shamans, because shaman is a very specific term, but your, your tribal spirit workers, we will say, your priests of the tribe, we have evidence of them maintaining a, a sort of reverence for the dead. Uh, and this sort of ancestral veneration is exactly the foundation of necromancy. You know, I tell all of my apprentices, you know, the very first thing they do when they enter necromancy should be to construct a family altar. Um, and I'm not going to necessarily go into details on that right now. But the reason we do this is because the first dead we work with should be our family. You know, because I, I, I like to say that gods and demons can get angry and demand things and they want this and they want that. Your family, you know, they can be demanding, but ultimately you're their descendant. You're their physical embodiment of their life's work, so they absolutely have your best interest in mind because it's through you they survive. That said, not everyone likes working with their family for one reason or another, and I can understand that. Uh, and I'm going to raise a counterpoint that you don't have to work with them to put them on your altar. You don't even have to like them to put them on your altar. But again, we won't go into that right now. So, where was I? Ah, history. The, the earliest records that I am personally aware of, of the dead being used for mystical purposes specifically, not just honoring your ancestors because they're the ones that gone before and all that jazz, um, but for intentionally reaching out and making requests of the dead comes from Greece 
where they would use things like a, a, a clay tablet. There's a specific term for it. I, I apologize. My Greek is very poor at best. Um, but they use this clay tablet, and they would you know, basically write a letter to the dead as well as to Hecate and sometimes to Hades. And they would make requests. And these requests generally were very specifically focused on divination. So they would make these tablets and they would throw them into a well or, or throw them at a crossroad or bury them in a grave and uh, they would have faith that the dead would answer. Uh, this was commonly used to try and determine the location of buried treasure or to find out who was plotting against you or, or what have you. There are multiple reasons, but it was ultimately to discover hidden knowledge. And thus, from this, we developed our word necromancy, which comes from the root words for necro, or the dead, and mancy, or divination. So by the strictest, most traditional definition, necromancy is divination with the dead. But we live in a modern world. Things change, things evolve, definitions alter. <clears throat> and in that sense, I have come to accept that necromancy is not just divination with the dead, but it is magic that has worked through the dead. Um, necromancy can entail retrieving graveyard dirt to use in a spell, or it can be the creation of a, a what, I, what I call a zombie bottle, and I'm not, again, going to go into that right now. Suffice to say, it's a spirit house made specifically for you know, a departed human. Anyways, that is a form of necromancy. My my altar here that I'm very fond of, for the record, it's, it's an old headstone that I got from a graveyard uh, somewhere in Daytona, actually. Using that gravestone is a form of necromancy, uh, specifically because of the pact I have with the spirit that it's tied to. Uh, any magic that's done on that altar, you know, ties back to that spirit and therefore is a form of necromancy. Uh, the point I'm trying to make here is that as long as you can incorporate the dead into your working, you can define it as a form of necromancy. And now I believe we are done with definitions. Um... And I know everyone's clapping their hands. Yay, no more definitions. I, okay, so from there, we can start to examine some more of the practical aspects. You know, what does necromancy do? What can I use necromancy for? Now, when it comes to what can necromancy do, well, that's a, kind of an open, open-ended discussion, really. Um, I use necromancy for everything you might use quote-unquote normal magic for. Um, now, chief purposes in the old days were more akin to, you know, learning what, say, an object of your desire liked so that you could then do those things um, as well as discovering hidden treasure so wealth and love magic are 
kind of high up on the list of what necromancy is used for, but there's so much more that it can do. Uh, you know, spiritual evolution is is a good one. You know, and that's I preach spiritual evolution quite frequently. Um, that is, you know, the end goal of, of my shop that uh, th that I run is not it's not to do things for people. Uh, yes, I offer ritual for higher services, but ultimately my goal with my shop is to empower others to be able to work for themselves uh, and self-evolution is you know a, a long-running goal of my own personal path <clears throat> i'm always trying to better myself i'm always trying to strengthen myself and necromancy for me anyways is the perfect tool for this a reason being Let's let's be honest. The dead have seen more of the world than we have. And that's why I always aim for older graves. And I am quite fortunate. Uh, the town that I live in, the, the graveyard has some graves dating all the way back to the early 1800s. Um, and some even sooner than that, I believe. I know we have, you know, a line of Confederate soldiers in, in you know, markered graves. Uh, so... My graveyard has quite a bit of history, and I, I like to go at times just to sit, you know, just to meditate in the presence of these old souls and, you know, discern what lessons they may have to share with me, because they've seen more than I have. They've been here a lot longer than me. So necromancy is quite useful for, for such things, for such spiritual evolution. Um... And, you know, it's also useful for, you know, everything from destroying your enemies to healing injuries. It just depends on how you want to use it. However, I will say that it takes a special person to be a necromancer. It takes a special calling. Um, which is not to say that, you know, you can only practice necromancy. No, you can practice necromancy regardless. But... To be a necromancer, to devote yourself to it, it requires a certain a certain character. It requires a certain introspection, um, and and usually people that are called to serve as necromancers have certain markers, such as uh, an affinity for the dead and death, um, an affinity for spirit communication. Uh, usually people that are called as necromancers they they know when something is going to happen when an accident is going to occur and someone's going to be endangered because they they can feel that that grave flow moving around this person or this place this thing this time when whenever uh, these same people also tend to be able to know when someone is in pain <clears throat> or more precisely, know when someone is is ill before they know it. Um, and of course, that's to be accurate with that. That's a much more honed skill, but it is a skill that is common among necromancers, nonetheless. Um, and if you don't if you don't have any of these markers per se, that doesn't mean you can't be a necromancer. It just means that it's not necessarily your initial calling. 
um, she'll kill me for this, but I'm going to do it anyways. My wife uh, is actually called as a necromancer, and she's finally embracing it. But she denied it for so long, and it made no sense to me because, you know, her aptitude for spiritual communion is greater than most people I've ever worked with. You know, she she is able to interpret messages from my gods before I can. You know, she is, is, is she's capable of these things that, you know, if she were to apply them as a necromancer, she'd do fantastic, but she ran from it for so long, she's finally embracing it. Um, just the other day, we went to the graveyard. Um, but, you know, the I was going somewhere with that. Oh, anyways, the, the aptitude. She has that aptitude. And now that she's embraced it, she's found a, a new... Not really a new purpose, but she's found new footing on her own personal path. Um, and that's that's kind of been my point with her and with other people I've encountered that are called to be a necromancer, but they don't embrace it. You're called not necessarily because, oh, destiny, blah, 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 blah. No, you're called because it's something you need. She needed to embrace the necromancy path, the way of the dead. Uh, and there, are, I know many people that need that. They just they don't they won't do it, and that's fine. It's their choice. But they turn away from necromancy and then turn around and say, "Oh well, I just feel so lost in my path." Well, I mean, I I tried to tell you. Uh, I I just I don't bother with it anymore. No one no one wants to listen because the people that are called to be necromancers typically don't want to be. And the people that want to be aren't typically called. It's become... It's become part of the edgy, young black magician movement to try and dabble in necromancy. And those are the exact people that I see say, Oh, well, necromancy's not good. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for you because, number one, you probably aren't doing necromancy. And number two, because you approached it disrespectfully. There's a certain edgy black magic movement out there, which again, I will not name names, but this movement has taken traditional texts and sources and has stripped them of a lot of their... Hmm, a lot of their practices and substituted their own and these new practices to make contact with these beings they're not they're not done with the same respect or the same authority that they used to be done with and that's all fine and dandy with demons and gods you know whatever you do you approach them your way but the dead don't like to be approached disrespectfully the dead don't like to be approached by someone who walks in and says oh you know we i conjure and command you to do this see how well that goes over for you No, the dead, the dead need to be approached respectfully and calmly. Almost as though you are attending their funeral. And I know a lot of people were confused by that. But it's very difficult to explain without having you there. But the dead tend to command a sort of 
Hmm. Mutual respect, but also deference on the part of the magician, at least at first. Now, once you get, you know, acquainted with your working spirits, then you can you can relax a little bit. But the dead typically don't just show up when you show up and say, Oh, I, I command you to come forward. That's not how they work, and they'll tend to just sit there and laugh. So, you guys let me ramble again. I was going somewhere with that. Hey, I guess the bottom line I'm, I'm getting to on that is that, uh, you know, if you're going to attempt necromancy, just be sure to go in with the mindset of respect, you know. Um, I ramble about necromancy and all its aspects for forever, but I want to keep this fairly brief. Um... I suppose this is a, as good a time as any to go into some, you know, brief introductory necromancy techniques for anyone who wants to get their feet wet and see if it's the path for them, you know? So what are some good introductory practices to get familiar with necromancy? Well, I will advise you, as I mentioned previously, the same way I advise my apprentices, which is an ancestral altar or family altar. And you start this with a table, it can be a coffee table, end table, dresser, whatever, uh, and dress it with a white uh, altar cloth. And the reason we use white is because white is a blank slate. And we'll get into that in a minute. But you, uh, you lay out your white altar cloth, and then I recommend going three generations back, uh, which would be parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. Uh, you can go further if you'd like. If you don't have that much information, that's fine. Just get everything you can. But we want, at the bare minimum, their names. Everybody can generally get their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents' names pretty easy. Um, but ideally you will have their names, their dates of birth, their dates of death, if applicable. Uh, for some people it's not, you know, and I have questions, why would you put living, you know, parents on an ancestral altar? We'll get to that in just a minute. The point is, you put them on there dead or alive. Um, so, dates of birth, dates of death, if applicable, and a picture. If you can't get all of that, that's fine. Just get the names. Some people can, you know, have a detailed, full biography of their ancestors, and some people just have a family tree with names. That's fine. I know plenty of people that just drew out or printed out a, a family tree and used that for their ancestral altar, and it works just fine. Um... Me personally, I like to include, you know, names, dates, pictures, uh, and if I have them, uh, funerary flyers, you know, the little, little pamphlets they give you at the funerals. Um, I can't always get those, you know, they get lost, they get, you know, misplaced, I don't actually get to go to the funeral, that sort of thing, but if possible, I like to keep those. Uh, once you have these things, you can arrange them any way you like. Uh, you can put your favorites at the front, your least favorites at the back, or you can do what I do, which is parents closest to the front, 
and then go generationally. So parents, then grandparents, then great-grandparents. Uh, reason being, if you, if you do this right, you can arrange them in an aesthetically pleasing semicircle, um, which is what I, I personally enjoy because I, I like things to look pretty. But you don't have to do that. You, however you want, you get them on the altar, and then you'll want to get a white saucer, a white bowl, uh, candle holders, white if possible, um, incense burner, again, white if possible, and a white or clear drinking glass. And these things are, of course, for offerings, you know, food and drink, incense, candlelight, whatever. Uh, and you'll want to stick with white candles when you burn and some very, you know, basic incense like Dragon's Blood or Nag Champa or something like that, something, something fairly universal. Now, the reason for all the white and all the, the plain offerings is because white is the, the universal color in magic. You know, it's, it's useful for everything. And so is black, you know, but white is traditional for ancestral altars. It's what I use, what I stick with. So, you know, if my children decided to make an ancestral altar for me personally, it, it might be black, it might be gothic, you know, have skulls and bones all over it and you know just like this sweet chalice that i have with skull motifs all over it and the stem is made of a spine it's awesome uh, thanks thanks mom um and that would be great for me but if these these children wanted to include their grandfather you know my father um these things may not be so appropriate so we go with the most neutral basic setup we can uh, because we're trying to please a lot of people so neutral foods neutral incense white candles that sort of thing now when you're working with a specific ancestor by all means use their favorite things give them their favorite food and drink and whatnot um, but when you're just making general offerings uh, just just go go neutral go plain um, Now, as far as how often you make offerings, this is a question I get asked a lot. And, um, like, ideally, you, you would you would do them daily, but I know life. So, you try to aim for once a week. Uh, once a month at the most, but once a week is preferable. Um, and just to, to feed your ancestors, to quicken them, to build that connection. Uh, and that that would be the first thing you would do to... to accustom yourself to necromancy and that's for for a lot of practitioners that's fairly basic most people have something like this anyways because it's you know a foundational step in almost every tradition in one way or another um, but the next thing you would do is you would start to spend time in the graveyard and I don't mean spend time by going out there with a ritual dagger and a chalice and doing ritual circles I mean just go just just hang out um, do what I do, which is I go and I, I straighten up graves. I, I clean them up. I pick up trash. I pick up flowers and memorials and set them back in place. I try and repair broken stones. Uh, just try and, and keep it updated, um, which you know builds an alliance with those spirits because, hey, no one has come and tended their grave, and now someone is here tending their grave. You know, that's, it builds a friendship. It's basically like going over to somebody's house and cleaning it for no reason. You know, it, it, it's a good deed. It's something nice. Uh, and, and that's what I do. I go and I will, will clean the graves and 
arrange the flowers and the memorials and you know this and that and it, it builds a good rapport uh, in fact since i just recently moved um <clears throat> i have uh started doing that at my local graveyard and now it's a special situation because i've lived here before i've worked in this graveyard before so we have that connection already uh, but i'm rebuilding that connection you know they, there's people that's been buried since i left I'm introducing myself to them. There's there's people that I've worked with a long time ago, but haven't talked to in a while. I'm I'm rebuilding that friendship. So go spend time in the graveyard, meditate there, uh, take a book and read there. If uh, if you're feeling up to it, go and lay out on the gravestones and meditate on top of the grave. That's a fascinating experience. Uh, bring a blanket or a pillow though, because those things are very stiff. Um, so we have our ancestral altar, we have spending time in the graveyard, and then, uh, you know, the big one is, well, we're talking introductory practices here, so maybe, maybe not that one, um, but you can go with a smaller version of what I was thinking, which is acquire some, some animal bones, because animal bones are cheap. Animal bones, in general, aren't that restricted. Certain bird species are, uh, certain protected species, you know, check your local laws, blah, 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 blah. But uh, acquire some bones and meditate with them. Try and connect to the spirit that they belong to. And, uh, you know, if you do these things and you, you say at the end of, I don't know, let's say you do these things for 90 days. At the end of three months, you're like, man, this is just, this is just not for me then you're not out that much. A couple bucks for some animal bones that you can still use for decoration, art, whatever. You can sell them to people on Facebook. I have a spending problem, um, especially when it comes to bones. Anyways, um, you know, you've gone and done some good things cleaning up a graveyard, and you've honored your ancestors. That's really not that much of a loss. Uh, but if you do these things and you say, man, this is awesome, this is, this is what I've needed, um then I, I can send you some book recommendations. Uh, you reach out to me uh, on my website, you know, papahoodsorcery.com, or send me an email at, you know, noglokishivanath at gmail.com. I will, you know, happily help you get started on your path. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not currently taking apprentices, you know, but if you want to enter your name into the future running, you know, feel free. Um, don't, don't get your hopes too high. Honestly, I, I'm tired tired I don't have as much time as I used to but uh, you know if these things excite you go grab the witch's book of the dead or um, if you can find a PDF copy of Ars Falcus uh, which which I have uh, and by the way that's not a piracy thing Ars Falcus was a website that was up a long time ago and it got taken down no one paid the domain blah 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 so uh, through some internet necromancy, I found the old web page and just saved all the information to a PDF. And if the the original author of that website will, uh, if, if he hears this and comes forward, let me know. I will surrender this PDF to you to rebuild your website, sir. Because you know, bravo! I applaud you. Ars um, Falcus got me started on the path of necromancy and it got me started right. Um, but. You know, read through Ars Falcus, uh, read through the Witch's Book of the Dead, um, the Keys of Okat, um, 
Sacredodium Umbrae Mortis if you got a little spare cash lying around. These books are not all necessarily perfect necromancy primers, but they will definitely get you started on the road. Um, I can't think of any other good ones offhand. I, I have a recommended reading list somewhere. Um, but, you know, my point is, if you feel the call, then absolutely pursue necromancy. But you get done with this and you don't feel the call, okay, no problem. You're not, you're not out that much, no major losses, and you, you move on with your practice. But I think that covers everything I was going to ramble on uh, today. So, I suppose with that said, I'll let us go. But, uh, you know, if you enjoy hearing about necromancy, and if you enjoy hearing about it in depth, stick around, um, because th this will be a recurring subject for me as... As a necromancer, you know, my private practice being necromancy. This is going to come up again and again. If you're not into necromancy, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and let you know now. Maybe just tune out of this podcast. Um, but that does it for today. Um, thank you for tuning in. And next time, I believe, I'll just dive straight into my work with Tantra. Uh, which is a widely, widely misunderstood practice here in the West, and I intend to put some of these um, rumors to rest once and for all. Thank you all for listening, and I will see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Door and the Looking Glass. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, and tell your friends about us. We'd be happy to have them on board, and we'd love to hear your feedback on uh, what you think of our episode. Thank you.